0: Hello, and welcome to the NPM Interconnection Podcast. I'm Andrew Burns, reporter for NPM. Today, I'm joined by Adam Briggs, CCO for long-duration battery tech company, Ambry. Adam is a longtime vet of the battery industry with multiple decades on his resume. So today, we're going to discuss the evolution of the battery market, the challenges on the horizon, and how Ambry, with its innovative approach to battery storage, may fit into the market over the next few years. First of all, Adam, I just want to thank you for uh, being on the podcast today.
1: Great to be
0: here. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. And uh, we, you know, obviously we've spoken in the past about, um, battery tech and, and the battery market and I know that you've been in it for a long time so it's really great to, to have your voice on the podcast today and I think there's going to be a lot of people interested in um, your experience and and of course the things that, that you're working on over at Ambry. So to kick things off I, I just wanted to uh, give you the chance to tell us a little bit about your background and your experiences in the battery market and then we'll talk a little bit more at large about the uh, the market as it is today. Sounds
1: good. Yeah so, so I'm a career battery person. I uh, I graduated from college and had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, You know, back in the day, we found jobs by taking the Sunday help wanted section and a red pen and looking for things that might make sense. And I distinctly remember lying on the beach on a July day and seeing an ad from Duracell looking for a test engineer. And you know, I, I sent in one application, I got an interview and I got the job and I worked there for 17 years and that launched me into the battery career. Uh, and I, and, you know, I, a lot of people have said, once you're in, it's hard to get out. And there's just something fascinating about batteries that, uh, you know, we, we use them every day. Uh, everybody understands them. I, I actually think that part of the reason I really liked the opportunity was because I thought at cocktail parties, I'd be able to tell people who i work for and everybody would understand that and, and as it has turned out i get you know then i get questions about should i keep my batteries in the freezer you know how do i keep memory or, or you know degradation of my batteries from happening and stuff like that so you know whether that's exactly why i got into it or not i don't know but that's kind of how it's turned out after duracell i went on into uh basically the next frontier of, of batteries as they emerged. So I went into two fuel cell companies. Uh, one was a hydrogen fuel cell company that was working on fuel cells for cars and for consumer electronics, uh, and kind of everything in between back then fuel cells were the, you know, next greatest thing. And, uh, It didn't turn out to be wildly successful, but uh, you know, another battery technology kind of kept me excited about doing that. Uh, And then I joined another fuel cell company, which was working on more larger stationary type fuel cells that they didn't use hydrogen, they used natural gas or propane, and they created power in remote locations. And again, that worked, but you know, not a huge market. And uh, uh, you know, right around that time, the whole concept of large batteries being attached to the grid uh, came about and I joined uh, a company called A123, which is in the Boston area. They had uh, pioneered a new lithium ion battery chemistry called lithium iron phosphate. And uh, they were making a, and had made uh, a very successful entry into this grid scale battery market Uh, It was very short duration back then uh, and batteries were expensive but there still were markets that made sense and they helped pioneer that. They were purchased by NEC, large Japanese corporation, not not long after I joined and I became the chief commercial officer of that operation and so we were uh, placing large lithium ion batteries all over the world attached to the grid. Uh, for various reasons and purposes. And we we can get into that. Uh, I left there in 2018 to join Ambry. Ambry is also focused on the exact same market, uh, although with a completely new technology. And so as you can see, I kind of started with batteries. I've been with batteries all along. Uh, I've been very fortunate to always be sort of on the front end, bringing new technologies to market and, uh, and working on, so those next generation applications
0: sure yeah it's, it's really fascinating to sort of uh, track your history through um, these different technologies and and I wanted to um, sort of get some insight from you into kind of how the the battery market has has changed specifically the the you know the large scale battery market that you're talking about that you um, first started in, in lithium-ion and, and are now with ambry um, you know people always are talking about how the how the market is is changing quickly for for batteries and so I wanted to uh, you know get it from the horse's mouth I guess uh, about uh, um, exactly, what's going on there, and, and kind of how you see all that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so batteries, you know, over my career, have changed dramatically. Right, started with, uh, you know, batteries were were convenience and mobility. They were typically many more were one time use batteries than rechargeables. Then, you know, laptops, camcorders, mobile phones really drove the market for rechargeable batteries. Sure, and changed it from. You know, we, we used to buy batteries on brand. Now we buy them on technology, right? Now we buy them included with devices. Uh, and that changed the economics incredibly, right? So for example, who makes the battery in the computer you're using right now, Andrew, right? We have no idea. Right. And we don't, we don't care, right? Mm-hmm. For that reason, the company that's making that battery makes far lower percent margin than say Duracell Energizer when you, you go buy a double A at Walmart because uh, there's some there's a hook there and you know Walmart knows that people want to buy Duracell and Energizer and so there is a there's a margin there that just doesn't exist in rechargeable batteries sure. and that's been that's been a challenge uh, but what's happened with rechargeable batteries is they've completely taken over basically all almost all. The energy that's stored in batteries. And it, you know, it evolved from those laptops and camcorders uh, to lead acid and nickel based batteries to lithium ion batteries. And then it was clean, you know, energy for EVs, which, which got, I went with oh, we an extensive battle versus hydrogen fuel cells to see who would win in cars. And obviously, batteries have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then these fast acting batteries for grid stability came about. And that's, and that's the market that we really want to start talking about. Uh, It, 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 that evolved, it evolved from these very short duration batteries to uh, those that are, are really managing the impact of renewable energy on the grid to, you know, the opportunity to improve the economics and benefits of, Renewable energy on the grid, and and you know I think we'll dig, dig into that a little bit, but that's kind of the headline of where we're headed now with these with these batteries that are hooked up to the grid and doing a a, a number of things, uh, and we'll you know we'll get into those details in a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's go ahead and, and and get into those details, and then afterwards we'll we'll talk about how how Ambry fits into it. But talk about um, you know something that we discussed in the past was sort of the misconception between um, long duration and short duration. And, and I, you know, I want to, um, get you to, to explain that for us and then just kind of talk about, um, these, uh, the next frontier is, as you see it, kind of where we're going, um, with the, with the battery market versus, uh, um, you know, kind of where we are at today.
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, I refer to the short duration, uh, batteries as being the first ones that came out onto the grid. And, uh, the reason for those is that they basically balance the grid, or they make the grid stable on a minute-to-minute basis. And you know, it, 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 that's a kind of a surprising thing for for a lot of us when we first get into this market. Is what do you mean the grid stabilization on a minute-to-minute basis? The grid's always stable, isn't it? Well, actually, no. the mm-hmm. The grid is constantly being managed to balance essentially supply of electricity and demand for electricity. So that's a reasonably you know, repeatable, predictable thing. Day after day, utilities or system operators are looking at and predicting how much energy is gonna be needed on the grid on a minute by minute basis. And they're instructing the power plants to inject into the grid the right amount of electricity so that everything stays balanced. But what happens it, more frequently than you would think is that either some big user of electricity—we we call that a load—might uh, suddenly trip off, and uh, that might be you know, like some big oven that you know a baker uses in order to bake bread every day. They event you know sometime during the day they turn that off. It's not really you know. <laughs> The, the operators of the grid don't know that's going to always happen. They, they can't see that happening uh, until it has happened. And when there's a shift in either the demand or the supply on the grid, what happens is, and it's a little bit counterintuitive, the frequency of the grid changes. So we have a 60 hertz grid in the United States, which means 60 cycles per second, a sine wave, that's 60 cycles per second. And if you suddenly have either too much electricity on the grid because the demand drops or not enough electricity on the grid because maybe a power plant suddenly trips off, what happens is that 60 Hertz becomes 59.8, or, which, which is a problem, right? All the electricities, all, I'm sorry, all the devices that are connected to the grid Are relying on a very precise 60 Hertz. And if you deviate from that, it starts causing problems with laptops and cell phones and lots of other precise electronics. And so the grid operators are out there looking at the 60 Hertz and they've said, look, the only thing that we can find that actually can react to problems in the grid fast enough are batteries. And So they started with these huge batteries connecting onto the grid and a signal would go from the operator of the grid to each battery and say, oh, we need you to inject energy into the grid right now or we need you to absorb energy from the grid right now. And so, you know, it's basically a buffer system and it may only and typically would only operate for maybe three minutes, one direction and then maybe go idle and maybe three minutes in the other direction and go idle. And it'll do that hundreds of times per day. Mm -hmm. And, and that the reason it only does it for three minutes is, is the reason that you only need short duration batteries because they don't need this to happen for very long periods of time, but it's become incredibly successful market, a very efficient way for the grid to remain stable. And now almost every grid around the United States has this in place. A notable exception is Texas, which of course, as we all know, had huge problems when they had major weather deviation last spring. Right. Uh, and so, so the short duration batteries came in in order to provide this minute to minute sort of stabilization on the grid. And they're still out there and they're doing great. Long duration batteries, Provide something different, so they provide an hour to hour, or maybe you know time of day to another time of day stability. And the way to explain that is, well, we all know that solar only generates power when the sun's out. So again, here's another sine wave, right? The the uh, peak solar generation is twelve o'clock or you know one o'clock in the afternoon, depending on whether you're in standard time or not, and that all solar farms generate at the exact same curve, basically. So that means there's lots of solar energy in the middle of the day. And of course, there's no solar energy at night. If you try to uh, compare that to when people use electricity, again, we're always trying to balance demand versus supply electricity. Well, people use electricity in a much different curve. There's a little bit of a peak in the morning when everybody gets up, and then there's a trough in the middle of the day when, although, you know, industry uses electricity, there's so much solar that it drives down the demand, the, not so much the demand for electricity, but the need for generated electricity. And then the, uh, the curve peaks, really its maximum peak is between 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. every night. When people get home, they turn on their TVs, they turn on their ovens and stoves and heat and all those kinds of things. So the trick is how do we move that solar energy from the middle of the day to the evening? And then how do we make money doing that? Because there has to be some kind of mechanism to compensate these battery systems. And so as it turns out, if you look at the price of electricity, it's at its lowest point in the middle of the day. And it's at its highest point during the peak demand at the, in the evening. So there is an arbitrage opportunity and long duration batteries. So those that take four to 10 hours in order to charge them up and then also to discharge that energy, those batteries are used to move energy from the middle of the day to the evening. And they basically charge that, those batteries with low cost electricity during the day and, with high, and they sell that electricity back into the grid at the peak price during the evening, and so you need batteries that last much longer periods of time in order to do that, and and that's basically you know if you can understand that then you can understand short duration versus long duration battery. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, makes perfect sense. Um, so you want to uh, start uh, introducing um, Ambry and, and kind of talk about how how Ambry uh, fitting into the current landscape. You know, obviously we know that. Uh, um, the dominant technology right now and and and
1: large mm-hmm. scale
0: battery storage is lithium ion. And I know that Ambry's uh, kind of uh, trying to bring something new to the market. So tell me about that and and how you think you're um, going to fit into to what's going on here.
1: Great, thanks. So yeah, lithium ion completely dominating the market today for both short duration and long duration batteries, but it's got some serious uh, shortcomings that uh, are, are opportunities for new technologies to come forward. So so today the lithium ion batteries that are on the grid are essentially the same lithium ion batteries that are going into evs so you've got supply chain issues with the high demand for lithium ion batteries so it's causing a price spike in lithium cobalt nickel and graphite it's driving up the cost of those batteries and it's making it harder for people to find those materials I talked earlier about profitability, you know, Mm -hmm. again, lithium ion is a commodity right now. There are lots of companies making lithium ion and none of them have much of a competitive advantage. So price competition is really stiff. Nobody's really making much money in that. It's a problem because it's a very capital intensive. It's three to it's 500 million to a billion dollars to build a factory. So uh, that's a big risk into a relatively low probability market. They've had a lot of safety and reliability issues, right? A large scale lithium ion facility has three to five million cells in it. Any one cell has a problem. It can cause tens of millions of dollars, up to a hundred million dollars of damage from just one cell that is either had a manufacturing problem or has been, you know, electronics are treated poorly. So, it's a pretty uh, persnickety type of technology. And although it's been great for a long time, as we grow the grid scale market, it's starting to show sort of growing pains with lithium-ion. Ambry, and there are other companies out there, have got a brand new battery chemistry. It's designed for long duration uh, applications. Uh, it Addresses a number of those issues that lithium-ion has, so it's lower cost. Ambry is the only company that makes it, so that means we can sell at a price that's below lithium-ion, and we can be profitable. Uh, It was invented at MIT, uh, and Ambry was formed in 2010, and has been financed primarily by Bill Gates since that time. So batteries are a hard technology; they do take a long time to come to market if it's something completely new. Uh, We've had the benefit of having a investor who has a long horizon. He clearly saw the need for better batteries a long time ago and we've been very fortunate. He's been on our team. Uh, The battery that has resulted is safer, as I said, lower cost, and it has minimal degradation over 20 years. So we all know the batteries on our cell phones, our laptops all get weaker uh, that is due to usage. It's also due to calendar time. So these batteries don't suffer from those same mechanisms. So over 20 years, it'll degrade no more than five percent over those 20 years. And so this, all of this, is enabled by this invention around a higher temperature battery system, and that enables a lower cost materials. It eliminates the need for cooling. So you know, lithium ion batteries, like every other battery, when you use them, they generate heat. We've all felt our battery hot on our cell phone, but they don't like to be hot. Even though know, if you leave your battery in a hot condition, it will degrade faster. So air conditioning systems are necessary for lithium ion batteries that are out in, in the real world. Ambry's batteries don't require that. So that means they're really good in high temperature environments, Deserts where, of course, lots of solar farms exist. And also, these Ambry batteries are not to be used for EVs. So they're not going to compete. The materials for them are not going to be in competition with batteries for EVs. And lastly, they are non flammable. So we don't have the risk of one battery having a failure, bringing down, causing a fire, bringing down the rest of that energy storage system. So it really addresses a lot of the weaknesses of lithium ion. And that's why we're enthusiastic about it. And we've got a lot of customers around the world who are pretty excited
0: about it. Yeah. It sounds like it's gonna it could has the potential to be absolutely huge. So um I know that um when we talked in the past, you you uh, you had a, a very detailed um, uh, timetable for how you know. Obviously, it's a huge uh, lift anytime you're bringing a new technology to the market, right? Uh, but you you seem like you guys have a a, a pretty a detailed timetable for how you're you're planning on, on rolling things out. So you want to uh, go into that and sort of walk us through um, what's what we're going to be seeing from Amber in the next few years.
1: Sure, happy to. So uh, we've been producing the same cell, which is the basis of this technology, a battery cell, right? Uh, We've been producing that for about 18 months, very repeatable, very reliable. We're right now assembling our first containerized system. That's to be completed next month and will be commissioned by mid June. We're doing that for one of the world's largest data center companies. And they have uh, commissioned this for uh, evaluation purposes. So it's still early for us. We know we're not shipping commercial batteries yet. We are in the process of finalizing a lease on a new 120,000 square foot facility in Massachusetts, which will be our first manufacturing facility. Uh, That's going to be where we develop a high speed manufacturing line and we'll create our first commercial products, which we'll start selling in 2024 Uh, at that. Later in 24, we will commission our first sort of high-volume manufacturing facility. It's also going to be in the United States, but we haven't chosen that location yet. Uh, it will deliver about three gigawatt hours worth of batteries in 2025. From there, we'll open about three more manufacturing facilities outside the U.S., ultimately about 50 gigawatt hours by around the end of the decade. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, five to seven billion dollars worth of batteries at that time.
0: Awesome, awesome, yeah, it's gonna be uh, great to to um, continue to track that, and obviously we'll we'll stay in touch as you guys continue to work through that 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 timeline. Um, so I, I, you know, we're getting ready to to wind down here, but I do want to um, give you the chance to sort of talk about, you know, obviously you guys have uh, planned ahead uh, many years in advance, and and you know you're you're working through that timeline. Um, but for the the market at large, like what what are we gonna what do you think that we're we're gonna see over the over the next few years? Do you, do you anticipate other um, competitors for lithium ion entering the market. Are you gonna? Do you think we're gonna see um, increased demand for um, for lithium ion uh, and and of course all battery technology? Just kind of walk us through um, what you see um, taking place over the next few years for the for the battery market.
1: Yeah, so it, it, there's a lot of change coming coming. So there's a uh, first of all the market for these batteries is growing at, at about a rate of doubling or tripling every year. So it's a tremendous growth market. And and literally there are only about 10 countries around the world that are really deploying batteries today. So, you know, there's another 125 to go. So, it's going to grow really fast. That's just going to, you know, float all boats are are going to be lifted by that growing market. There are a number of new technologies that are being introduced and they fit into other battery technologies improve which are which some of which are improvements on lithium ion There are gravitational energy storage systems. You know, by that I mean, so today, you know, you can have what's called a pump hydro system, where you're lifting water to, let's say, a high lake, and then running it down, essentially a waterfall, and and capturing, you know, energy in both directions that way. There's thermal, which where you're heating up rocks, and then when you need the energy, you run that energy from the, the heat from the rocks, uh, the cooler rocks down. Uh, there is uh, compressed air where you, know, you, you have extra energy, you compress air, you need the energy back, you let the air expand. There's a number of companies out there that have spent a lot of money in developing these technologies. Uh, many of these I think are gonna find success in some particular segment out there. Uh, they're all gonna be specialties, I think of one sort or another. Uh, it fortunately for Ambri, we are aimed at the largest segment, which is basically enabling more renewable energy to uh, come onto the grid and to do that in a stable market. So uh, you know we really shine in being paired with a solar farm, being used every day to use, move that energy to the evening uh, and being recharged the essentially the next day to do the same thing. So uh, it's gonna it's a crowded field. Uh, there's, there's a lot of excitement happening, and the market's growing really fast. So, uh, great place to be. I, you know, I knew back at the beach in 1984 that this day was coming. It was just, uh,
0: you know, a long road to
1: get here.
0: Sure, and uh, we are certainly. On, on that road all together now. So it's going to be interesting for us to track and, and it's, we're, we're looking forward to seeing um, the impacts that, that Ambry has on the market as you guys continue to, to roll out what you guys are doing there. But, um, you know, uh, Adam, I really want to thank you again for for being with us today. It's been great to to hear you sort of talk through the, the, the market as it stands now and and uh, how it's evolving and uh, we'll stay in touch. Cool, totally Andrew. Thanks a lot. Really great talking to you. All right. Thank you very much. Bye.